If you have your Bibles, turn to James, James chapter 1, towards the back of your Bibles, Hebrews, James, let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to come to worship you freely. God, I pray that you just give us a desire to worship you today. Lord, we are struggling with many things. There are people in this room today who have had very difficult weeks, but God, your grace is amazing and you are good so God, I pray that you would comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come help us understand your word. You would apply it to our lives so we can live for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would be with the persecuted church around the world, thousands of Christians who are being killed, who are persecuted, but are still living for your glory. God, help us to learn from them. Help us to learn from James. Help us to glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. James chapter 1. We started this series last week. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 today. And it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Super Bowl Sunday, 1999, my friend John, who I'd been working with for about a year, was walking around his house and turned the TV on and Billy Graham was preaching and John had been struggling spiritually. He was a good guy. He was a very moral guy. He was a hard-working guy. Had been thinking about his spiritual condition, listening to Billy Graham, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, 1999, realizes his need for Jesus, confesses his sin, asks Jesus to come in his life, and changes, and he becomes a Christian, and he becomes a follower of Christ. John was a good guy. He's still a good guy. He at that moment, had everything going for him. He'd been married for about 12, 13 years. They'd been praying for kids. Kids had not happened yet, but they, she had just recently, his wife recently had become pregnant. He had a good job. He had things going for him. He had Christ. He had a companion for life. He had cash. And he had children coming. Everything was going good. He was living happy. That's exactly how he'd say it. He was living happy and in comfort. Then became a Christian, so everything was going good for John. 
became a Christian, and a few months later, everything, everything, everything started to unravel for John. He found out that his wife was having an affair. She ended up being an alcoholic, doing drugs, just unbelievable. I knew her. I went to her funeral about five years ago. His children started having physical problems. They had two more kids. They had two kids. They started having physical um, problems. He lost his job because the economy went bad. And he would call me all the time. He started having physical problems. And he'd call me. He goes, Paul, things were going great when life was good. When I became a Christian. Everything started to fall apart when I became a Christian. John would call me. And every time the phone would ring, I would say to Teresa, this isn't going to be good. Because every phone call, every phone call would be, Paul, guess what? This is going on. Paul, guess what? This is going on. I got this going on now. What am I going to do? When I wasn't a Christian, things were going good. But now that I've been a Christian, things have been getting, become extremely difficult. His cry of John's heart, I think even still now, is how long, oh Lord, am I going to have to suffer this way? We all feel that, don't we? How long? About ten times in the Old Testament. That phrase is stated by the nation of Israel. Somebody representing Israel. How long, oh Lord, am I going to have to go through hard times? How long is this going to be difficult? Even though they had God, even though we have Christ, we still suffer. How do we process all this pain that we are living with? How do you process it? How do you deal with all this stuff? What would you say if it was your friend calling you Every single week sometimes with a new tragedy who's a Christian. How do you deal and respond with trials? That's the problem that James is addressing right at the beginning of his book. That's why James is such a powerful book for us because it's about real life. It's the situation of the people he were writing to were followers of Jesus Christ. They were Jews who had now, because of persecution, they had been scattered around. They were suffering from isolation. They were being dragged to court by wealthy people. They were limited in how they can worship. They were in intense persecution, intense struggles, intense pain is what their life was about. So Jane starts to write this pastoral letter to them from Jerusalem. He was their pastor. And they had been spread out all over the place, and they are hurting and there, some of them are thinking, how should we respond to this? Should we attack them? Should we physically go after them? Should we drag them to court? What should we do? How can we defend ourselves in the midst of this pain? And we are amateurs in America compared to pain. We are absolute amateurs in how we deal with suffering. The February 13th, 2012 edition of Newsweek. This is the cover of it for this week. The War on Christians. It's an amazing article about through the Middle East, all over, the rise of Christophobia, where thousands and thousands of Christians in different countries, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, are being kicked out of their homes, losing all their money, they're being dragged to court, there's all kinds of rules about them that they can't worship Christ. Hundreds of them, thousands of them are being killed. At World Vision headquarters in Pakistan last year, 2010, a group of angry men with rifles and machine guns came and killed 10 people because they thought that they were trying to drag people away 
into not the religion of the country. Followers of Jesus Christ, those are the people around our world today who understood exactly what James is talking about. That's the exact situation that the people of James were going to. Sometimes we talk about our problems, and we do have problems. We do have struggles, don't we? We do. They're real to us. They are real, and they're important, and they matter. But we're amateurs when it comes to dealing with suffering and pain. I think sometimes for us as Christians... We are more about fighting the American dream than living for the king of kings. And we get those two things confused. We think our struggle is because really the goal is the American dream. It's not. It's living for the king. And James and the people that they were dealing with understood exactly what he was talking to. They were those people who right now, as we're speaking, can't worship today because there is a war on Christians in places around the world. And we are amateurs, but we still suffer. We still do suffer. We still have pain. So how do we suffer? How do we deal with pain? How do we understand how, what the purpose of our trials are and how to handle them? How do we process pain as people of this promise? We are absolute people of promise that God has given us. So how do we deal with all this stuff that we're going through? James says this right at the beginning. The way you do it, it's back from verse 1, is this. Your relationships absolutely matter. You have to understand that your relationships matter. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable. James grew up with Jesus. He was the brother of Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus until after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and Jesus came to James. And James' life was transformed. He believed that Jesus was the Lord Jesus Christ. When James said, Lord Jesus Christ, that meant he realized that as a growing up, being a good Jew, following God, waiting for this Messiah to come, waiting for the deliverer of Israel, that finally the Messiah had come, that Jesus was Lord. Christ means Messiah. This was the one that they'd been hoping for. This is the promised one. This is what every Jew was and is looking for. Some of them just haven't recognized that Jesus is the answer for what they've been looking for. Thousands of years, James saw Jesus as the Messiah, and he said, Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah, which means Messiah is going to be the king. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Your relationships matter. Some of you are going through some very difficult things, and you're not going to be able to get the answer today because you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have a relationship with the king, the one who's going to fulfill the promises of of the Bible to you. What I'm going to say to you is not going to matter until you have your relationship right, until you get a relationship with the king of kings and have a right relationship with God. My favorite quote from A.W. Tozer is this, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. You're not going to be able to understand your difficulty until your relationship with God is right. And James, right at the beginning, says, Jesus Christ is King. He's Messiah. He's Lord. That changes everything for us. That changes everything. He had a look at his growing up and what he believed as a Jew completely differently. Now, everything he read in the Old Testament, he read through the lens of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all over the Old Testament, and James is writing to Jewish people. And he's saying, no, Jesus is king. So everything in the Old Testament is now being fulfilled in Jesus. And so now we can have hope. So this is how you should deal with your trial. So if you're scraping 
for some kind of hope this morning, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not right, you're not going to get an answer. Because your relationship matters. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ first, the King, so that you can understand the promises that the King gives in His kingdom. We are kingdom people. We are not... We are citizens of this country, but more importantly, we are citizens of heaven. And our dream is not the American dream. It's the dream of the King of Kings. That's where we have to understand that our relationships matter. So if your relationship matters, if you know Jesus Christ, then this is what James says to you. He says, view your trials positively. There's a lot to be said about that. seems so easy, but he says, view your, pos- you view your trials positively. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's a big word, obviously, that jumps out first, which is joy. How in the world am I supposed to have joy when the economy is big bad, my marriage isn't so great, my kids aren't so great, things aren't so great in my life? I know it's not as bad, Paul, as those people over there in third world countries in Iraq and Afghanistan, but come on now. I don't live over there, and my situation really, really hurts. And James just said, count it all joy. What does this mean? It does not mean be happy all the time. Walk around, hey, how's things going? It's great. Yeah, everything's good. I love being unemployed. It's awesome. I'm a happy guy. I'm just going to smile away. That's not what that means. As kingdom people, as people who believe the promise of the king, what James is saying is, listen, everything's different now. Things are completely different now. This is a counted joy. This is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. It's a it's not happiness. It's not the smiley. You can, you can have great joy and have tears. And you can have sorrow, but you can have joy. The kind of joy that James is talking about is a child of the king. So he is giving a command. He says, count it all joy. It's an imperative. Count it all joy, my brothers. But it's not just happiness. You don't have to pretend everything's going good all the time. You don't have to just smile when you're hurting. You don't have to do that. He's saying this is a different kind of joy than just sheer Happy, 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 happy. This is a deep, deep kind of joy, an unnatural reaction that without Jesus we would never be able to even have. It's an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated thankful trust in God. Then he, that's the big word. We always want to just think, that's impossible. Yeah, it is possible through Jesus Christ. And then he says, count it. That's the other big, important word in that sentence, Count it joy, which means reckon it or think it that way. It means it's not an emotion. It's a thought, which means this it is a war that we're going to have to fight against our emotions. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to think and believe and know of truth and a promise. I'm going to have to fight my emotions where everything in me is telling me, give up. It's not worth it. God's not real. God's not good. This is a battle for our minds that James is talking about. Because it's really in our mind. We have emotions. Emotions come and go. Our feelings come and go, don't they? On Tuesday, you could have been really happy. And on Thursday, you could have been really sad. Emotions come and go. But joy is consistent 
It's possible to be consistent. And James says, listen, count it or think it joy. Have a fight with your emotions. Get your mind engaged and think it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. And the people that James was writing to, they were people who were isolated. They were losing their money. They were losing their homes. They were lonely. Their friends, they couldn't live with their friends anymore. These are all various types of trials. There's health issues. There's all kinds of different things that they were dealing with. So that's why James says, count it all joy when you find various kinds. There's all kinds of things. When unexpected things happen, that's what these people were going through. Unexpected trials. It's the same word when the Good Samaritan, remember that story? Was, the guy was getting on his whor, uh, donkey, went to travel somewhere, and as he's traveling, all of a sudden, unexpected people attacked him, beat him up. He wasn't planning on getting beaten up. That wasn't his plan for the day. That's the kind of trials James is talking about. When we're walking through life, everything's kind of going okay. You got companionship, you got cash, you got Christ, you got good times, and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, things come up. What do you do with that? That's what he's talking about. These unexpected trials that were just happening to these people and the things that happen to us. And he says, count it all joy. Get in a war with your emotions and think it this way. Think this way. Think it joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. The word no should jump out at you. But what do you mean we know? Come on, I thought you just said it was unexpected trials. He's writing to Jewish people who all their life, all their history was, every Jew knew that the Messiah wasn't coming, so there was going to be suffering. Things would go for a while, then there would be suffering. Things would go good for a while, then there would be suffering. That was the nature of a Jew. He understood this very, very well. The history of Israel is suffering. They have suffering down. They knew how to suffer. We don't know how to suffer. So apparently, when he's writing this, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This was something that they had been taught that there was going to be suffering in their life. They just knew this. They knew that there was value in it. We as Americans don't always know this, do we? We don't have a good suffering system. We don't teach our kids well. But here's the problem, parents. How you suffer is a, probably going to be the example of how your kids learn to suffer. So we as parents better know how to teach our kids how to suffer. There's all kinds of different ways that people can suffer. There's, I got four of them. There's the whaler type of sufferer. You know, things go bad and they're just, ah! ah, you know, there's all the kids here just wailing all the time. Their mom and dad are arguing, fighting all the time, just wailing, wailing because things are not going well and they're suffering. Your kids will probably become whalers that way. If that's the catechism that you're teaching. And there's the, the whaler. Thanks for that testimony. There is that, uh, <laughs> there is the whiner type of, Way to suffer. You know, just whine, whine, whine. They can't, your kids are here. That's how you deal with suffering. You just whine all the time. Nothing's ever good. Then there's the woers. You know, things happen. Just self-pity is their thing. Woe is me. I can't believe I'm going through this again. Then there is the worshiper. Way of whining. And that's what James is trying to call people to. He's saying, don't be wailers. Don't teach your kids to this. Know this. Don't be whiners. Don't be woers, but be worshipers. And a worshiper of the king, his response to pain and suffering is, 
I think like this from the quote of J.C. Riley, sicknesses, they understand that sicknesses, losses, crosses, anxieties, and disappointments seem absolutely needful to keep us humble, watchful, and spirit-minded. They are as needful as the pruning knife to the vine and the refiner's furnace to the gold. To the gold. And James says, for you know that the testing of your faith, as a worshiper you should know this, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. A worshiper's response to suffering will be, I will cling to the promise that you will never Never, never forsake me in my pain. I'm going to thank you for the grace to make through. That's a worshiping response that James is trying to get these people who are going through unbelievable pain and difficulty. And we go through unbelievable pain and difficulty. That's why it's in the Bible for us. But he doesn't want us to wail all the time. He doesn't want us to whine about stuff. He doesn't want us just to be woers and filled with self-pity. He wants us to become worshipers of the king and be people of the kingdom and understand that. And a Jew would have understood that better than we do because we don't teach our kids and we don't teach our own selves how to suffer well. And so when tragedy happens or unexpected difficulties come, we usually aren't worshipers very good. And James says, that can change. It doesn't have to be that way. So count it all joy. Think this way. Start a battle with yourself. Be a worshiper. You say, well, I want to be a worshiper. That's my desire to be a worshiper. I love for that to be my response. I love to be able to teach my kids that. So when they're older, they just say, you know, my dad and my mom, they worshiped God in pain. But you say, there's just one thing, Paul. I'm in pain. I've got difficulties right now. The goodness of heaven seems very dark. The cloud is so unbelievably heavy that I can't quite get through it. How am I supposed to get through that? Because I want to be a worshiper. I can feel it in my heart. It's there. How do I do it? James says, you do it this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. For James' wisdom is everything. As he brings up these themes of trials and wisdom. Wisdom is all through the book of James. And what's very interesting, wisdom is very connected to the Spirit in the New Testament. It goes back a little bit to Proverbs chapter 1 when he's talking about wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask of God and God will give you Wisdom, because this is what wisdom will do for us. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 says this. James would have known this. The Jews would have known this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, who now Jesus is the king of Israel. So this applies for us to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise... And their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools 
despise wisdom and instruction. And Proverbs 2, 6 through 8 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. James says, if you want to learn how to deal with your struggles, your unexpected tragedies, you have to have wisdom. It's a battle for your mind to think this way. Not live by your emotions, but think this way and fight your emotions with wisdom. And if you lack it, ask it of God. He will give it to you. That is, it's, he will give it generously, but also means single-mindedly. This is what God wants to do. He wants to single-mindedly give you wisdom to endure your trials, to deal with the pain. Wisdom, someone says, the supreme and divine quality of a soul whereby man knows and practices righteousness. It's not just this intellectual wisdom that, yeah, I know God's going to work all this stuff out. It is not intellectual. It is this expression of, yes, I believe the promise that Jesus is king and that changes everything for me. I believe that. And I believe that Jesus is going to be my shield, and he's going to be my hope, and he's going to give me understanding as I go through my troubles so that I can live like King Jesus did when he was on earth. It is a desire for wisdom that will allow us to live godly lives. Not just this head knowledge that things are going to be okay for us. It is this expression of saying, God, give me wisdom so that when this thing happens, or when that just thing happened to me, I can respond to it now the way Jesus would have responded to it. And God says he will singly and successfully and continually and genuinely give you that wisdom through prayer. Just pray for it. Ask for it. But ask for it in faith. Because if you not like somebody doubting. It's like the, the waves of the sea. They're always moving around. You're not really sure. Am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? Am I going to believe God for wisdom or am I not going to believe God for wisdom? It says, ask in faith. Ask like a child of the king in whose kingdom you now live or you're waiting for the full effect of the promise. Ask like that. Ask like you believe that Jesus is king. And don't waver from it, even as dark as it may be. And God will generously he says, generously give us wisdom, single-mindedly. He will just usher us into wisdom to be able to respond through those unexpected trials the way Jesus would have, with an ethic that Jesus would have, which was love, peace. And he's writing to this. Remember, James is writing to, this pe- to people who have been kicked out of their homes, who have lost their jobs, who are being falsely accused in court for all kinds of things. And James says, ask for wisdom so that God can help you act like Jesus to those people who are hurting you. Same thing for us. We have to ask for wisdom, pray in faith. That's impossible. There's no way that could happen. It is possible. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, she was a 17-year-old girl diving off into a pool, Life was good. She was enjoying her summer. She breaks her neck. And she's now spent the last 40 years of her life in a wheelchair. And she has lived suffering as a Christian. Successfully, you say, well, she's got some problems. I've read her blog sometimes. She's not always happy. She's not happy she's in a wheelchair. She'll be the first to tell you that. She's she's unhappy. She can't wait to get out of the wheelchair. She prays for God to heal her. But she is joyful. And she is expressing her life serving other people with the ethic of Jesus. It is possible. 
It's possible. And Jesus, James says it's possible. That's why he commands us to think this way about our trials and to have a battle with our emotions and count it all joy and then ask God for wisdom to help us live like children of the king, live like Jesus would in these circumstances. We have access to great resources, unbelievable resources through Jesus Christ. And then he says, know this. Your reward is worth the perseverance. Your reward for this is worth your perseverance. The trials are there to make you stronger, to grow you in your faith. And if you need help in that, pray for wisdom. God will generously, single-mindedly give that to you. And the reward is with it. But before he gets to the reward for us, he gives a big warning. Let the brother, verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Before he gets to the Christian, he says, hey, there's this warning. James talks a lot about the rich. And when James was writing to this, there's a big debate among scholars. Is he writing to Christians who are rich or are these rich people not Christians? It's a big debate. No one's really sure. I lean that they're really not Christians because the Jews were under so much persecution in James' time. There would have been the, the, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, who had lots of money. And they were the ones who didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And they were the ones who were persecuting. These wealthy Jewish leaders were persecuting the Christ-following Jews. And James is constantly talking against the rich. And James grew up in a very poor family. That's why... In, when Mary, his mother, the mother of Jesus, and Luke chapter 2, when she talks about the, her Magnificat, her poem, she talks about how, God, you raised up this lowly, poor daughter. You raised her up to be something. Jesus, the Bible said, we don't hear much about Joseph. It seems that Joseph died. So James understands what it's like to be raised probably by a single mother in poverty. He understands what he's talking about. He understands persecution and pain. But he says he gives this warning. Lowly, if you're poor, if you're struggling financially, boast in that. Because you have boasting in the king of kings has changed your life. Boast in your humiliation. You aren't lowly than anybody else because you have Jesus as your Messiah. You have Jesus as your king. But he gives this warning to the rich. Rich, don't boast in your riches because it's not going to last forever. It can be gone tomorrow. And for some people, it has been gone that fast. Don't boast in it. What are you living for? Are you living for the American dream or for the king of kings? Don't boast in it. So when you're struggling with your trials, don't let wealth become a distraction on Route 34, where we are consumed with being suburbia. And living in the country, but having everything that the city has. We want money, 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 is what our culture out here says. Scream for the best. Claw for cash. Don't live that way. Because here's what he's going to say. It can become a big distraction for you to live godly, in godly wisdom. Don't let wealth be the thing that you're trusting in. 
Don't say, you know what, I got these credit cards all over the place, so I'll just trust in Visa. I'll trust in this, and I'll trust in the fact that I have this job, and I'll trust in the fact that I have this money. It'll be a distraction for you. I hear so many people struggling financially, and here's what they say. Instead of trusting in God and then trusting in the Messiah, the King, Jesus, they'll say, you know what, I just can't wait till Reader's Digest comes through. I filled it out. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Woo-hoo! Did you buy the lotto ticket? Did you get it? If I get that ticket, everything's going to go well for me. You're trusting in riches instead of worshiping God. That money may never come, but you're still, your hope is, oh, if just the lotto came through for me, oh, if just Ed McMahon and his cronies showed up, life will be good. That's my hope is in that. That's trusting an idol of cash. And James says, don't do that. Trust in the king of kings and Lord of lords. He says, there is a reward for the faithful. The reward is life itself. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Who passes out crowns? Kings pass out crowns, not paupers. Not the peasants, the king passes out crowns. And so James says, listen, live in your trials. Persevere in them because the reward for you is great. The reward is life. The crown that I'm going to give you is life. And that's why if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have great hope today. The hope is this, that Jesus came, took all our sins, all our pain, all our struggles, everything that was broken, He took it to the cross. He died and he rose again. And through Jesus Christ, we have great hope. We have been given life. The crown is life. Jesus is the crown. For life now and for the life to come, heaven is going to be spectacular, but we can endure our trials now with Jesus as king, which means what we do now also matters. He's saying, listen, stood the test of time which God has promised to those who love him. So endurance, how you endure your pain, how you endure your loss of a job, how you endure your suffering, how you endure your loneliness, how you endure your lack of cash, demonstrates your love for God. So love God because he is our hope. It's Jesus that you're striving for. Look to Jesus. He is the crown that we're going to get. And heaven is there for us. But what we do now matters. As you struggle through life, as you endure with your eyes fixed on Jesus, it matters. How you serve at work, that matters. Because you're serving the King. You're living for the Messiah. You're living in the already of the not yet that we have through Jesus Christ. People say, you know what? We should ask Jesus to come into our lives. No. We don't need to ask Jesus to come into our lives. Someone just said recently, you don't need Jesus to come into your life. Your life's a wreck. You need to go into Jesus' life. That's what Jesus did for us. We are dead to our old selves. Our lives are a wreck. They're filled with pain, sadness, and sorrow. And as we enter Jesus' life through the hope of the promise, what we now do matters. So when you suffer, this matters. We're going to be, there's a reward for that. It's our demonstration of love. Every time John would call me and I'd sit on the phone, racking my brain, praying, 
What am I going to tell him this time? How long, O Lord, are you going to hurt this man? I would say, John, how you doing spiritually? He goes, well, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand any of this, but one thing I know, I'm not going back. Jesus is the only hope I have. And he has persevered ever since. Jesus is our hope, and that is enough for now and for eternity. So our call is to do what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but somebody else did. Jesus did it for you. He resisted to the point of shedding his blood for you, which is your hope through this, that trial. So think and fight for joy because it's a demonstration of our love and it's a proof of the promise that we have through Jesus Christ. And our eyes and our minds can't fathom the goodness that God has for us in eternity as we go through these struggles. If he puts us through something difficult here, it is for the purpose that when we get to heaven, we will look back and say, wow, that molded me into the type of person I could never imagine, and that was good for me. Because look how much I am enjoying now. It's the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So persevere in our troubles and rest in King Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, We don't understand why we go through things, but it's not the reason that matters. It's our response to what happens to us. So God, help us to respond by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone is our satisfaction and our hope. Give us grace, give us wisdom, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name I pray.